listening to a podcast by Real Church and Pastor Noah Fritchie in Murfreesboro, Illinois. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this message inspires you and builds your faith. Enjoy, and God bless. We're in this series, God of Miracles, and uh, we've had this theme verse from Psalm 77, verse 13, that just says, your ways, God, your ways are holy. What God is as great as our God, everybody? He's so great. I think we've experienced that this morning. It says, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. In the last several weeks, I've been telling you that I love this verse because it is in the present tense. It is, you are the God. I think it's, it's wrote like that on purpose. It's wrote like that for you and I to read and know that in our life, our God is the God of miracles. He still is the God of miracles. And what we've been praying over the last several weeks is that God would just display his power in your life. That's been our hope, and, uh, and I hope that has been uh, your prayer as well. And uh, we've just been believing for miracles around here. And so today, what I wanted to give you, um, I'm going to give you a message that um, that I've brought in some way or fashion before uh, for two reasons. One, it's about one of my favorite miracles of all time. And number two, it's Easter next week and your boy's been prepping for Easter for the past week. So you want a, you want a good message. And so I, I'm going to bring you a, uh, a, a message, that a, a, a passage of scripture that I've taught on before. But I think it's going to be just as powerful uh, today as if, you, if, you've heard, if you've heard me teach on this passage before. But here's what, let, let's take a look at this. We're going to look at Jesus, uh, who, who really is the miracle worker. And uh, as we jump into this story and as we talk about miracles, here's one thing that I really understand is that a lot of us, when we talk about miracles, uh, some of us can be very tense um, with, with this topic of miracles. On the front end in church, it's really easy for us to say, our God is the God of miracles and you shout amen and everybody's excited and, and that's great. But oftentimes when we go home, I, I also believe there's a group of people that have a little tension with this trait. Because if we're, if we're going to be real here and talk about these things, all of us have believed God for a miracle before. We've all believed him for something that has never happened. We've all had those situations and things in our life that, oh, God, I really need you to take care of this. But it seems like that he wasn't there. And there's a lot of us sitting in this crowd, maybe you're watching online this morning, that you're very discouraged. You get really discouraged because it just feels like God doesn't do miracles anymore. Maybe you're in this room today and you feel like, well, miracles like stories like Noah and the Ark or Jonah the Whale, they're, they're all great Bible stories. And they were great in Sunday school. But maybe you feel like, well, I just don't feel like he, God does those anymore. And some of us, that's where we are. We just don't feel like God does miracles anymore. Others of us, we feel like, yeah, maybe God still does miracles. In fact, I think most of us fall in this category where we feel like, yeah, God still does miracles, but he just doesn't do them for me. That he does it for everybody else. And I, I, I've seen him do miracles for everybody else, but he just, that's not for me. And there's some tension in this room. And all of us have these flawed ideas about Jesus and how he does miracles. And today, I just want to set the record straight. In fact, I, I, again, really in this series, and here's what I've decided to do. To help you understand miracles, uh, to really to teach you about miracles, I wanted to use uh, what's, what scholars call the law of first mention. 
which just means that anytime you want the purest teaching of anything in the Bible, you typically go back to the first time it happens. So if you want the purest teaching of miracles, you, you can go back. A lot of scholars will go back first to the Old Testament, look at the first time something miraculous happened in the Old Testament, and then they'll go to the Gospels and see when was the first time Jesus did this? What did Jesus' first miracle look like in Scripture? And so anytime you study the Bible, typically you always go back to that first occasion and see what the Old Testament and see what Jesus has to say about it. And so to study miracles today, that's what we're going to do. I am going to give you uh, verse by verse, we're going to look at the first miracle Jesus ever performed. It's one of my favorite miracles in the Bible. I, I like it because it's a fun one and it has a lot of meaning, a, a lot of meaning here. And uh, let's look at the first miracle that Jesus performed. It's found, uh, if you've got your Bibles today, we're, we're going to be in John chapter 2. Uh, for quite a while today. John chapter 2 verse 1 says this. It says, on the third day, there's a wedding that takes place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. So we're just setting up. It says, hey, Jesus' mother was there and his disciples were, had also been invited to the wedding. And so they're all at this wedding. They're all having a good time. This is about the reception part of the wedding here. And take a look at what, what happens here. It says, when the wine was gone, Jesus said to his mother, They've got no more wine. They, they don't have any more wine. And there's, listen, I, I wanted to tell you this today because every single detail in this story of scripture is, is there on purpose. God doesn't put things in scripture on accident. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a meaning. In fact, the, the fact that these people are at a wedding all by itself it, it, it has huge meanings. In fact, let, let's just talk about weddings real quick. What, what do we all know about weddings? Weddings, they got like a unique characteristic, don't they? Weddings, at, at every wedding, expectation levels are huge, right? They're ginormous. They're just out of the box. Like they're, I, 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 it's the bride's dream day. They're planning, I, like <laughs> it's the thing that they've planned their whole life. And it, it's just their perfect day. And expectation levels are just huge. I know because I'm in the middle of it right now with my sister who's getting ready to get married this fall. And can I tell you, I can't believe we're planning for all the way this fall. It's just amazing all the things that are already done. But expectation levels are huge. In fact, yesterday I got told what outfit I'm going to wear, you know also to the wedding. I'm like, I hope I fit in it. But, you know, I, I just, I, I, I'm just telling you that it's, uh, expectation levels are huge. And that's really what you feel the bride, uh, know, like, like this is my perfect day. It's the bride's day that she's waited all of her life for this. And, uh, <laughs> there's lots of things, uh, lots of ways to show you, uh, that, uh, that expectation levels are huge. But one thing that I think of, uh, just right off the top of my head is me and grandma used to watch Bridezilla's together. You remember that? Like on, anybody know what Bridezilla's is? Yeah. Yeah. We all, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have watched that as a kid. But anyway, it was these, <laughs> these crazy brides. I mean, they were just wild. And they, I, I, yeah, it was, it was an interesting, one of those TLC shows. So we like, we like all the good shows, me and grandma. Thousand Pound Sisters and all the, yeah. We, I, <laughs> you get into, this is our life, everybody. So you just, don't judge. Don't judge my DVR. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
But it, so we used to watch that. And I mean, these girls were crazy. It, it, I mean, said a lot of choice words and all kinds of stuff. They were just mess up. But the, it's because the expectation levels were huge. And, uh, and really what I found, in, in, so being in ministry for a little while, I, I, I found that uh, if there's anything to go wrong at a wedding, it, it, it'll go wrong, everybody. It, it almost always goes wrong. In fact, uh, just growing up in church, I, I volunteered a lot of my time in the tech booth. And so I spent a lot of weddings in the tech booth for somebody else I didn't even know. And uh, I remember one in particular where <laughs> they, this couple... Uh, the, you, you know the unity candle. Y'all know the unity candle. Two candles bring together. Beautiful, you know. And uh, they, they, this couple, they came together to make their marriage one. Everybody, and somebody had like clipped the wick, or the, or, or it was like a candle that they must have lit it before, and the wick was like so, so short and dull. They went to make their marriage one, and it just wasn't working. <laughs> it just kept burning and burning, and the wax was dripping everywhere, and. Yeah, it was like the Lord is saying. No, I just, I just kidding. Uh, I just, I'm just joking. Uh, there's a lot of great things. Uh, there was one wedding uh, where, so if you don't do the unity candle, you typically do like the uh, the sand, right? You know, you pour the sand together. It's a beautiful moment, and uh, they poured the sand together, and the, and the bride turns around with the dress and hits the table and knocks the sand off the table. Uh, it, it, my, my favorite memory of being a part of a wedding is um, that they had a track for Here Comes the Bride. So everybody, you know, that moment is here and the bride's getting ready to walk down that middle aisle. And uh, us in the booth, we hit the wrong track. It's the wrong CD, everybody. And uh, it starts playing like, or it, I, like, I don't know, it was like a Chris Tomlin CD or something, you know, like, and it's, Oh man, and it just ruined the moment. And that, that was not my fault, by the way, but I was, you know, you know, when something happens in the booth, everybody turns around like, ah. you know, you don't want, you want that feeling. But that, that it's just, if something's going to go wrong, I mean, it goes wrong at a wedding and there's all kinds of these, these expectation levels are just huge. And uh, what happens here is I, I tell you this whole idea, this, this setting is on purpose for Jesus's miracle here, because oftentimes in our life, we have expectations of life that are so huge. And when those expectations don't get met, we find ourselves miserable. We find ourselves, the wine is gone from our life. And they make this statement in this wedding story that the real problem in this wedding is that the wine is gone. The wine is missing. And that might not seem like a huge deal to you. It might not seem like a huge problem to you. But in the Jewish culture, it's a huge problem for two different reasons. Number one, it's a problem because uh, in the Jewish wedding culture, they didn't put the emphasis on the ceremony like we do in our weddings. In fact, our weddings today are all about the ceremonies. Usually they're about the, the, the dress, the candles, the music. Everything's just got to be right. You know, it's got to be a perfect, it's got to be a perfect ceremony. But the Jewish weddings weren't that elaborate. Um, in fact, instead of their ceremonies being elaborate, they focused way more on the reception what happens after the wedding. Sometimes their, re their receptions were huge. Sometimes they had up to a full week, seven days of party for the marriage. And they had a seven day long reception and essentially to determine if a wedding was good or not was all on the wedding reception, not necessarily the ceremony itself. And so here we are, we're at the reception and the star attraction, which is the wine, is missing. 
It's not there. It would essentially be like modern day, the preacher not showing up for the wedding. It would be that drastic. This is really bad news. Uh, and not only for that, uh, it's also bad news because the, Jew, uh, the, the Jewish culture, the Jews had a saying uh, that went like this. It says, uh, they, they had this saying that said, where there is no wine, there is no joy. And some of you are like, amen to that. Yeah, there's a different series for you guys. Uh, <laughs> Just come on, come on back. Uh, <laughs> we'll deal with you later. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, but here's, it, it, it's the truth. They, what, you, you say, well, what, what in the world is meant by that? Uh, it, they just meant that wine was so much more than just something to drink. The wine here in this story is really just a symbol of lost joy. So if the wine is gone, it's really just a symbol of lost joy. To which I would say this morning, I just dedicate this message to every person. And maybe you're just walking through life. You've got this high level of expectation, but the wine is gone. The joy is gone. You feel like everything that you're doing just stinks. Maybe you feel like your marriage stinks, your, your kids stink, your, your job stinks, your, your finances are, are in ruins. You, you find yourself with little to no joy. You need to understand and you need to know that Jesus comes into that very situation just like he comes into this situation with a miracle. He wants to give you a miracle and there's, there's some important principles for you uh, to learn in this story. There's important principles that I have learned through this story and that's why I wanted to bring you this message again today. Uh, and what I want to do is I just want to focus first on the final verse that uh, we read here. Uh, because I think there are actually, I, I think we can pull three major things just out of this verse. Uh, that, that Three things that we still do today that put us in the wrong place, that get us on the wrong side of a miracle. Here's the first one. If you're, if you're a note taker in this room, here's the first one. It says this, we focus on feelings instead of faith. We focus on feelings instead of faith. In fact, I really pull this from this section of scripture where Jesus' mom just says, hey, the, the wine is gone. They're focused on the problem. They're, 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 the, this wine gets all the attention in the story. I bring this to you today because I just think that so many of us, we focus on the natural problems. We're so easy to focus on the natural problems. Instead, we should be really focused on the spiritual solution of things. Too many of us, our eyes are on those natural problems when we should be looking for the spiritual solution. And here, that's really what we find here. We have this couple getting married and everyone is upset at, at something that's just superficial, this wine that is, that, that is gone. And I just wonder if how many times you, you've been like me when you find yourself maybe in a difficult situation like this, when you find yourself where you feel like, man, uh, I, I've just been going through this incredibly difficult situation. You find yourself focusing more on that than what you should be doing about that. In fact, most of us, when we get into some type of, and when we get into something that discourages us, that hurts us, we just focus directly on that situation instead of focusing on what we can do about the situation. And it's so easy for us to do that. It's so easy just to focus on the situation. That's what Mary's, or that's what Jesus' mom is doing here. She's just saying, oh, the wine's gone. Here's the situation. All she can think about here is the problem. But we forget, and I, and I think we're, we can be kind of like Mary here, when, we, when, when something bad happens, 
happens. We just focus on the problem. Here's what we forget as Christians is that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that we live by faith, not by sight. And I know that's not news to anyone here in this room today, but every single one of us need a good reminder of this very thing. You need to know that we are people of faith. We don't just live in a natural realm. We live with this powerful God who wants to be, who wants to be here with us and take care of us. He, he wants to be with you and you need to be reminded of that. Here's the second thing that happens oftentimes when we face difficulty. Here's what will happen. We take matters into our own hands. And so many of us do this. We love to do this. I love to do this. I think this is, this is I, which I, I also think this is the funniest thing to me because um, when, when you put this in perspective with the story with Mary, the Bible doesn't tell us this isn't even Mary's wedding. This isn't her, this isn't her thing that she's putting on. Mary is, I, I think it's funny because she's just a guest and she sees the problem and she wants to take matters into her own hands. She wants to do something about it. I just ask you this question this morning. How many times do we do that? Well, we literally, some of us, we literally take the problem from God and we say, I'll just take care of it myself. <laughs> None of you are guilty. I know. I see the looks on your face. None of you do that. But I, I do it all the time. A problem that... Some of us will literally come in here today. We'll come in and, and say, I think a good, like you've got a, you've got a suitcase of baggage. We just sing that song, Place of Freedom. Talks about, talk, essentially just giving it all to Jesus. Some of us literally walked in here this morning, took, took our suitcase, took our baggage, laid it at Jesus' feet. But as soon as we're done in about 20 minutes, you're going to pick it up and walk right back out with it. We want to take matters into our own hands. We, we don't trust God with those things. God, I guess I'll just do it with myself. Listen, it really shouldn't even be some things that are in our life. It shouldn't even be our problem. In fact, it should never be our problem and God's problem at the same time. Think about that for a minute. It should never be our problem and God's problem at the same time. But oftentimes that's what we step into. In fact, this verse, um, I, I, I broke down this verse out of, out of Isaiah that I wanted to give to you today. Um, oh, maybe I, maybe I skipped this here. Yeah, this, this was, I skipped this verse. I'm sorry. Uh, let's, take, let's take a look at this verse in Isaiah, chapter 30, verse 15. It says this, it says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Let me break this. I'm going to break this whole passage of scripture down for you. This first part here talking about repentance and rest. Repentance, first of all, you need to understand what repentance means. Repentance means to change a direction. It quite literally means to do a 180, to just totally turn around. So you're changing your direction. Can I just tell you, you can never have God's best until you decide that you're going to change directions. And I'm going to, I'm, instead of going my way, I'm going to turn around and go God's way. You're, ne you're never going to find that until you, you change directions. And rest here, just in other words, just meaning just stop trying to do everything by yourself. Like God, uh, uh, stop, stop trying to do everything yourself and leaving God out of the process. This verse goes on to say, and it'll, it'll take a minute here, but I think you'll get all this. It says, in quietness and trust is your strength. But you, you would have none of it. Basically, what, what he's saying here is that, hey, God, God has something for you, but, but you, you, you want to do it your way. 
You want to do it by yourself. In fact, it goes on to really explain that to us. It says, you said, no, no, I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to flee on my horse. I will flee on horses. When, when you see horses in passage of scripture like this, horses almost are always a symbol of personal strength. Just meaning that, hey, I'm, you know what, God? I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm going to ride off on my own horse. And he says, the this, this scripture goes on to say, therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. So you're trying to do things your own way. You're riding off on your own horse. And, 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 and what scripture really says here is that it's not going to work. That there's someone behind you that's even faster than you. There's someone behind you that is after you. They're pursuing you. You're trying to do things your own way, but the enemy's on the horse right behind you, right on your tail. And look at what happens in scripture here. It goes on to say, till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Essentially it's saying, until you're left all alone and isolated. And I'm just asking you this question today, just to, just to break this whole thing down for you today. How many of us feel like, like, like this, this very way. Some of us, some of us were so far from God. We've been trying to do life on our own. We've been trying to do life on our own horse. We've been riding our own horse. We've been kicking our own horse. We've been trying to go faster, harder, stronger all the time. We've been trying to make our own way and the enemy is just right behind you. He's after you. He's just as fast as you and he's done left you on the top of the mountain by yourself alone and isolated. So many of us fall into that. Some of you, you're so far away from God today. You're so far away from God in your thinking that this is how you feel. You feel alone, isolated. You feel like you're just a banner on the hill, that you're just, you're, you're just all by yourself. You just feel like God is, that, that God is just a million miles away from you. So many of us, that's what happens because we try to control our own life. You say, well, Pastor Noel, what do we do? What do I do? What am I supposed to do? Well, the good news is scripture doesn't end there. It ends like this. Thank God. Can we just say, thank God the Lord longs to be gracious to you. I think, thank you, Lord. The Lord longs to be gracious to me. That anytime you've been trying to do it on your own, you've, you've, you, you, you've, you've tried to run your life on your own, even when you do get isolated, the Lord still wants to be gracious to you. Can I just tell you today, I'm a firm believer that the best part of God's day is when he can just let you off the hook. Like God wants nothing more in your life than to just, like he sees the foolish steps that you take. He sees the places where you go out and get on your own. And, and, and he doesn't, thank God, he doesn't go, oh, those idiots out there. Like, like, if I was God, I'd be like, oh, man, they did it again. Like, how many times do I have to tell them? I, I would be so aggravated. Thank God I'm not God, everybody. I, I am just so glad that we serve a God that, not, not, that is not only gracious, but I love how the scripture says he longs to be gracious to you. Like he, he wants to be gracious to you. And if only you could receive that today. In fact, I'll, I'll give you the rest of the verse here. It says, therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. You want to know what response you'll get from God when you go to him and surrender? Grace and compassion. That's our God. And I just want to encourage you. That if you find yourself hopeless, 
If you find your, if the wine is gone in your life, your expectations are lowered, you feel like you're hurting, you need a miracle, would you come back to God? Because our God longs to be gracious. He longs to be gracious to you. Stop trying to do it on your own. Let's look at the last thing in this story together. I think every one of us can relate to this. We exaggerate the negative. We probably know people who like to do this too. I know some people who like love to exaggerate the negative. We like to, I think it's funny, so many of us, we like to explain to God how bad the problem actually is. God, like you don't, I don't think you understand how bad this is. And listen, I, I just think a lot of us will go on prayer and we'll just do this very thing. We'll exaggerate the negative. And I don't mind us telling God about our problems, but I also, I don't think that that should be the majority of our prayer time either. Like some of us, we live this life. Some of us, our attitude is just literally, well, if it weren't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. You know, like that's, that's kind of how we, we, we go through the day. And, and some of us, we just get in our prayer time and we just, oh God. And, and we just complain before God. And that's fine and dandy. And I'm super glad that you're praying. And there's a, there's a time for that and a place for that. But at some point in your life, we, 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 we can't just keep telling God about our problem. We've got to tell our problem about God, everybody. Like, I, I, we, 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 we've got to tell our problem about God. Like, listen, I, I think it's encouraging for us to be, uh, to be here today and sing in the way that we did. And, 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 to, and to sing songs like, Jesus, you're so powerful. Your name is great. God, you're so good. Because, listen, if we're not careful, we just exaggerate the negative. Here's how it happens in this story. Here's what Mary says. Mary's exaggerating the negative in this story. She just says, hey, there's no more wine. The wine's all gone. No more wine to drink. Essentially, she says, I guess we're toast now. Like, this party's over. I, I just, and there's no more wine to drink. I just want to encourage you right now. Listen, there, a lot of us, we've, some of us have been through this, this entire year of difficulty. Every one of us has hurt in one way or another. Right now, you might feel like there's not a lot of external things that are encouraging that are happening. Some of you, your life looks very dim and troubling. Listen, I, 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 I've been thankful to literally be able to be a part of a family, and not just a family, but a, a, but a church of faith like you are, that stands on God's word, that is not wavering. People of faith who know that God has something greater in store for us, even through all these problems. You know why we're like that? You know, you know why we're all like that? Because we're people of faith. Listen, we, we know what it looks like. We, we even know, even when, we, even when it doesn't feel right, we still have come to the conclusion, the conclusion, look at this, in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, and listen, I believe God has made a lot of promises for me, God has made a lot of promises for my family, he's made a lot of promises for this church, and he's done the same in your life. God has made you promises, and his promises are yes in Christ. Another version says yes and amen. You know what that means? It means that it may not look like, maybe you're in a season of life where it looks like God's not working at all. But you need to understand that his promises are still yes and amen. He still wants to be there for you. You might say, well, then what, what's going on? Here's the problem. So many of us, we just don't understand God's ways. We don't understand God's ways. You know why? Because he's so much bigger than us. 
God operates so much different. He, he's so different than us. You know, that's why it takes faith to serve God. Because he's just, he, just, he just does things differently. That's why we're called people of faith. Listen, you wouldn't need faith if it was too obvious. If God just handed everything in your lap, you wouldn't need faith. There wouldn't be a point of it. But we are people of faith who serve him. Take a look at this. I, 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 want, to give you, I want to give you really super quick here four, four things that we really see in this story where Jesus is the miracle worker to where you say, well, Pastor Noah, these all look like doom and gloom. What do I do? What do I do? I want to finish the story and I want you to really see these four things. See these four that takes, see what it takes to get a miracle. Here's number one is in order for you to get a miracle, you just need to do what Jesus says to do. Simple, right? <laughs> Not all the time, but you, you need to do what Jesus says to do. And we get this from this next part of the story. In fact, in John chapter two, uh, verse five, his mother said to the servants, he, she said, hey, just do whatever he tells you to do. I think it's kind of funny. I, 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 like to, I like to think about how these stories happen. Like what, what if they happened in, in modern day? I can just kind of picture Mary where she, she came up to the servants and she understood that she had a problem. And then she, like when she understood that she had a problem, she was like, oh, wait. I have the son of God, like, like, oh, Jesus is right there with me. So she complains about her problems for a little bit and then realize, realizes that she has Jesus. And I, I just picture her probably going to this crowd and saying, hey, listen, what Jesus is about to say is it, it, probably going to be a little strange. Like he was a different kid, you know, <laughs> like, he's just a different boy. And just, I know, just whatever he's gonna, it might not make a whole lot of sense, but just do whatever he tells you to do. Like, just, just, just listen to him. And that's essentially, she just said, hey, just, just do, like, don't think about it too long. Just don't analyze it. Just do what he says to do. In fact, you might say, well, well why does she have to do that? Why would she say something like that? I think it's because our God is famous for doing things that you just don't understand. He's famous for doing stuff that you might not always agree with. Or he, he's famous for just doing stuff that we just totally, we, we just can't even get. You know why? Well, look at, what, look at what Isaiah says here about God. It says, this plan of mine is not what you, what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. It says, for just as, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, meaning that God is just famous for doing something different than us. He just has a whole different way of thinking. His thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways. And that makes sense because he knows more than us, everybody. He knows more. He sees more. He can see the big picture. God is just smarter than us. And the problem is, is that so many people, we just don't necessarily believe that. We say we do, but our actions don't show it. I think another problem is, is that too many people don't want to do it God's way. In fact, I would say it like this, that too many of us, we serve God from, we, we serve God in this direction, from, from, from our head to our heart. That's, but God doesn't, God, that was never God's desire for us. God always wants, God wants to be a part of our life. If, if God could just have your heart, maybe one day he'll let you understand. But too many of us, we, 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 we want to pass it through our brain. We analyze everything. Well, that doesn't make sense to me. Can I just encourage, like, if you're that person today 
that says, if I'm not going to understand it, then, then God's not going to do it. Then God can never be bigger than your brain, everybody. He'll never be bigger than your brain. And that's a sad conclusion. Listen, it, it, it has to come to a place where you just begin to trust that our God is smarter than us, that he can do better than us, that his ways and that his thoughts are higher than us. Listen, if you always have to understand God, you will never have the right relationship with him. And I'm not saying this to say, don't, don't study the Bible and, and don't like, listen, we work hard. I work hard to study and learn and grow for you. That, that's not an excuse not to, not to dwell after more of an understanding for God, not at all. But I'm just saying there are going to be some things that God is going to do in your life that just won't ever, maybe not ever make sense to you. And honestly, I just had to come to the conclusion that I'm all right with that. That I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I serve a God who knows more than me. I'm thankful that I do. Let's take a look at this second point. I don't like this next point, but it's true. This next point is, you need to focus on what God wants to do in you. You know why I don't like this point? It's because most of the time, I don't focus on what God wants to do in me. I focus on the problem and how I want to fix it. So many of us, we want to focus on the problem, but God has this trait that I, I, I don't really care for that much. And it, it, it's that he will, take, uh, he will take a problem and use that opportunity to teach you something in the middle of it. Listen, every single situation, everything that he leads you through, he can teach you something in the middle of it. See, here's what happens. I think sometimes God delays our miracle. I think sometimes God doesn't answer our questions because he's working on a character issue inside of us. I think there's some things that we go through that God strategically uses to develop us even more. Because here's what we don't like to understand is that God is actually way more concerned about what's going on inside of you rather than just the external stuff that is eventually going to fade away. Like God is so much more concerned about your heart. He's so much more concerned about your soul because that's the part that lasts. And so he'll use what he's got to do to, 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 to draw you near because the sickness or the struggles that you're going through in life, they'll, they'll fade away. Our God, he cares about the stuff that lasts. Listen, and maybe, you, maybe you've been going through difficulty. Maybe you've been going through some hurt. Listen, I just know, I, 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 like I said in the beginning, all of us, even just in this past year, have gone through a lot of difficulty and hurt. I have personally. I mean, as your pastor, it, it's, it's hard. It's, I, it, 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 there's been a lot of things that have just really hurt. But can I also tell you that going through that hurt, God has developed me. I mean, I, it's like, it's almost monthly. Every month I can look back and see that I, I, I'm, I'm a different person. How God is doing a deeper work on the inside of me. I mean, I can just tell you, like, through, through, uh, through this whole year, like, my time with the Lord has just been so much better than it has in the past. I feel like I'm a better pastor. I feel like I, I try to, <laughs> I understand a little bit more of what you're going through. I, I, I feel like I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little bit more emotional than I used to be. I think I cry more sometimes. And I, I, I feel like God has just softened me a little bit. And he's made me better through all the, all the hurt and stuff that we've been through. Listen, in the middle of my trouble, God is doing a great work on the inside of me. In fact, I just want to show you this. I want to show you what it looks like in this story. It says this. Jesus is 
is not just trying to do a miracle here. He's, he's trying to show you, he's trying to teach you something. Look at what he's trying to teach in this story. It says, nearby stood stick, uh, six stone water jars, the kind used for Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So here is, he, here's what's about to happen. Jesus is about to put wine in these jars here. Now, again, if I'm Jesus, there's a bunch of probably empty wine bottles everywhere, probably a bunch of empty glasses. I would think, hey, if I'm going to perform this miracle, poof, right? Wine bottles filled again, glasses filled, all having a good time. Now, Jesus has a different way of doing things. He, he went and he found these stone pots, these, these stone pots. What we don't understand today in our culture is that these stone water jars had a whole lot of meaning. These stone water jars were actually at the doorway of the temple. You literally had to go through this. They, they, they held this water. You had to go through this ceremonial, ritualistic washing of your hands before you went into the temple to make sure you were clean. And not only did you have to wash your hands in these water jars, but you had to do it the right way. You had to do it the perfect way. In fact, it was so strict that if the water would... It, it, here's, you would have to literally dip your, dip your hands in and you would have to lift your hands up and all the water would have to drip off of your elbow. That's how, that's how it would have to drain. They were so strict on this rule that if you dipped your hands in and water came off the tips of your fingers, you had to wash again. You just had to do it all over again. And there was literally somebody sitting there watching, making sure you were doing it right. That you were doing the right, that you were doing the exact right thing. I tell you that because it's a picture that Jesus is giving us. Jesus is giving us this picture through these water jars of this dead, stinking religion. That's really what he's using in here. And Jesus says, oh, I've got an idea. <laughs> Essentially, would it be how I feel? Here, here's a good way to do the miracle. Instead of just giving people wine, let's teach them something through it. Let me teach them something through it. And so he takes this symbol of these stone water jars, this symbol of dead religion. And remember, the wine represents joy, right? And he takes the symbol of the dead religion and he puts joy back into that dead religion. He didn't fill the wine glasses. No, he, he filled the ceremonial washing part, uh, the, the washing pots here. You say, well, what was Jesus doing? Well, Jesus was getting a two for one deal, everybody. <laughs> he, he was, he was going to perform the miracle and teach us something at the same time. Here, here's, here's what we can learn from this is that Jesus, he came not just to fill our empty wine glasses. No, instead he came to put the fun, he came to put the joy back into Christianity. And so I think it's, I, I love how the Bible does this because listen, back in the day, they would have understood ex all, what this was all about. They would have, wow, you put wine in those pots, you put joy in those pots. They would have understood that. And you need to understand that today. Jesus is always trying to teach us something through the hurt, through the, through the trouble and the turmoil that we're going through. He's trying to teach us something through it. He not just wants to, he doesn't only want to do a miracle in your life, but he wants to teach you something through it. Listen, if you're going through something difficult right now, and maybe it seems like Jesus is not responding to you very well, it may be because 
You, you, maybe, maybe you just need to keep talking to him. I, may, may, let, me, let me say it this way. You, you're focused so, you're just focused so close to the issue and you're not letting him take care of it. And he wants to teach you something through it. In fact, look at 1 Peter verse 6. It says this, it says, In this you, gra- you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It says, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though, even though, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, he says, I want to take that painful experience that you're going through and I want to develop you. I want to develop what's going on on the inside of you. And if you're like me, oftentimes I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that I could just get the physical problem, the thing that I'm dealing with right out in front of me, I wish I could just get that solved. But, he, but our God cares so much more He cares about something else. He cares about our hearts so much more. He wants to teach you something in the middle of that difficulty. Here's number three. If you're taking notes, you need to believe the unbelievable. And I just want you to be people of God. I want our church to be a church that believes God for big things, to trust him for things that are even, that might even look unbelievable. Look at what happens in this story. This, This really wraps up the story here. It says, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it come from. Though the servants had drawn, who had drawn the water knew. I give you this piece because at the end of the story, there were some people who got it and some people who didn't. The servants... They understood that this was a miracle. This guy, he had no idea where it came from. I want you to be on the right side of the miracle. I want to encourage you to believe for the unbelievable. Don't limit God to the size of your brain. Realize that our God is a God who does the impossible. In fact, look at what Mark 10, verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Let me give you the last one so we can go home. Number four, expect the best. I just, my prayer this week was, I just, I pray that I can pastor a group of people who trust the Lord for the best things, who believe God for the best things, who expect God to do a miracle. Look at what, this is truly the finish of the story now. John 2 verse 10 It says this, it says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guest had had too much to drink. (laughs) Makes sense. But you have saved the best till now. Saved the best till now. Some of you, you've been going through some things in your life where you feel like, "How, how could God, how could God ever restore me to my best? I've been through too much hurt. I've been through too much trouble. Those days are, maybe you're in this room today, you feel like those days are behind you. But can I tell you, 
That's not the way our God works. He saves the best till now. He has the best. It's ready and he's waiting on you. Listen, if our God can raise the dead, I believe that he can get rid of the situation that you're going through. If our God can raise the dead, then he can perform a miracle in your life. And can I tell you this? I believe in our God so much that even if he doesn't take care of all my issues, I think I'll see why on the other side of this earth. In fact, there's a lot of things that when I get to heaven, I feel like I'm gonna have a list like 10 miles long of questions. God, why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why, Why did you make it this way? But I just have faith enough to know that even... Even if he doesn't, and this is a hard thing to get to, but even if he doesn't solve all my problems here on earth, either way, I win. I win in the end. Ephesians 3.20 is what I want to leave us with today. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Do you believe in the scripture with me today? We need some people of faith out there who trust their God, and who love their God in this way. Let's pray together. Father, today, we put our trust, our hope, and our faith in you. Father, for so many of us in this room, we all have our own individual hurts and problems that we're dealing with. Father, today, we just give them to you. Church, why why don't you just speak that problem out? Maybe it's just under your breath. Just speak that thing out. Say, God, I give it to you. I give this to you. God, we give those problems to you. And Lord, we have faith and we trust that you can handle it. That God, we declare today that we're not leaving with that baggage. God, we're leaving it at, at, we're leaving it at the feet of Jesus today. Because God, you're, you know better and you know how to deal with it. And so God, for every person in this room who, uh, who, who is expecting a miracle, who needs a move of God in their life, God, I pray that you would just be with them. God, won't your presence just touch them right where they're at. Lord, we love you. We put our faith in you today. God, we know you're so, so good. God, as we enter into this this passion week, into this week where we really observe what you did on this earth, Lord, would you remind us of the great things that that you went through so that we can be saved. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for moving right here in our midst. We thank you for being with us on our behalf, Lord. We love you. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, we never end a service without giving you the opportunity to accept this Jesus. This Jesus that we've talked about today that performs miracles, this Jesus wants to be with you. Remember his desire, he he would love to let you off the hook. He would love to forgive you of your sins today and he would love to send you out here with a fresh start. If you're in this room, you say, I believe in that Jesus. I believe in him who came and performed this miracle, who died on a cross for my sins, who was raised from the dead. 
If that's you in here and you believe in all those things, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. I'd love nothing more than to lead you in a simple prayer that just says, God, I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. That's you in this room. Let's pray this together. In fact, church, because we all believe in this, let's all say this aloud. Repeat this after me. Say, dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. But I believe that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Would you give it up for all the people who prayed that prayer? Thank you for listening to The Real Church Podcast. If you would like to partner with us financially or you live in the Southern Illinois area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out realchurch.info. 